Hello there. This is Jim Mosley, your host on the Bible History Guy radio broadcast, sponsored by Winterwood Creative. We're dedicated to turning doubt into Christian faith through facts. So if you have questions about God or the Bible that you would like answered, you can reach me through our website, www.thebiblehistoryguy.com. Or you can email me directly at jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com. That's jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com. Today's broadcast comes from my latest book, The Biographies of Jesus' Apostles. Most readers of the Bible have only a vague notion of who Jesus' apostles were, how they were related to each other, and what exactly they did. This book takes readers alongside the apostles, reveals the world through their eyes, and accurately retraces every known step of their lives. Life of Peter, Part 5 In AD 48, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark were all in Antioch in Syria. Around March of AD 49, some Christian Jews came to Antioch from Jerusalem and taught that only those circumcised according to the law of Moses could be saved. Paul and Barnabas had seen God open the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they disputed with these Judaizers. It was just at this time that Peter visited Antioch. He probably remained there over the Passover, which ran from April 3rd to the 11th. Some friends of James, Jesus' half-brother, also arrived from Jerusalem and advised Peter to keep aloof from the Gentiles because they were afraid that he would alienate the Jewish Christians. Probably they were thinking that celebration of the Passover should be a non-Gentile event. Surprisingly, since Peter had ministered to the Gentile Cornelius in his house, had already evangelized in Rome, and had agreed with Paul that Titus did not need to be circumcised, Peter did as the Judaizers advised. Other Christians at Antioch, including Barnabas, followed Peter's lead. Probably Peter and Barnabas, although they both had experience proclaiming the gospel to Gentiles, thought that only Jewish Christians would want to celebrate the Passover anyway. Paul, however, thought Peter was not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. He rebuked Peter in the presence of all, saying, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews... How is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? A man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, evidently, Peter accepted this rebuke with humility, and fellowship resumed between Jewish and Gentile Christians. And then Peter returned to Jerusalem. But the vexing question of whether believers had first to become Jews before becoming Christians still burned. The Antioch church decided that Paul and Barnabas should go to Jerusalem and lay the matter before the apostles and elders there. They struck out in May, A.D. 49. At the Council of Jerusalem, which probably convened from June 21st to the 23rd, some Christian Pharisees stood up and stated that Gentile Christians should be circumcised and should observe Mosaic law. After much debate, Peter arose and reminded them how he had preached to the Gentiles and how God had given them the Holy Spirit, making no distinction between them and the Jews and cleansing their hearts by faith. Peter asked why the Pharisees wanted to place a yoke on the necks of the Gentiles, which the Jews had been unable to bear. Both Jews and Gentiles were saved not by obeying the law, but by God's grace. Then the people listened in silence as Paul and Barnabas related the signs and wonders that God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Finally, James, the half-brother of Jesus, stood up and agreed with Peter and Paul. 
He advised that they give Christian Gentiles only four prohibitions. One, to abstain from things sacrificed to idols. Two, to abstain from sexual immorality. Three, to abstain from blood. And four, to abstain from strangled animals. These four prohibitions seem to have been designed mainly to separate the Gentiles from their former pagan practices. The point was to prompt new Gentile converts to leave their idolatrous paganism behind. The Jerusalem Council wrote a letter to this effect, entrusting Paul, Barnabas, a certain Judas Justus Barsabbas, and Silas, also known as Silvanus, to bring the welcome news to the Gentile converts at Antioch. Probably from AD 49 to AD 59, ten years, Peter made a wide missionary journey which ended in Rome again. Hippolytus, a third-century Christian author, wrote that Peter preached the gospel in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Britannia and Italy and Asia. He probably also visited Bithynia on the south shore of the Black Sea because First Peter, one of his two epistles, was written to Christians there. He also visited the church in Corinth, which Paul had planted between January AD 50 and August AD 51. Paul was in Corinth, Ephesus, and Caesarea in this period, returning to Jerusalem in September AD 51, so it's possible that the paths of Peter and Paul crossed. Peter took his wife with him on his travels, as we learn from Paul, who wrote, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of our Lord, and Cephas, Cephas meaning Peter? So Peter was probably on his ten years of missionary journeys at the same time that Paul was on his second, third, and fourth missionary journeys, and their paths may have crossed, maybe more than once, and since both Luke and Mark were in Rome during Paul's first imprisonment, probably Peter and Mark arrived together in Rome prior to Paul's first acquittal under Nero in AD 59. Eusebius, the church historian, says that Peter and Paul died in Rome. Jerome, an early Christian father, says that they died on the same day in AD 68. Nero began persecuting Christians after the great fire of Rome in July AD 64. Tradition says that Nero kept Peter in chains for nine months in the Mamertine dungeon. Possibly Nero's reason for detaining Peter for nine months was that his agents were scouring the empire for that other notorious Christian, Paul, so that Nero could celebrate a double execution. Nero committed suicide on June 9, 8068, so Peter and Paul must have died before that date. It is possible that Nero arrested Peter around July 8067. Probably he arrested Paul in Troas, or Troy, in western Turkey, around March 8068, so Paul would have arrived in Rome by April. Late church tradition says that a spring flowed miraculously up from the depths of the Mamertine prison, and that Peter used its water to baptize his jailers and fellow prisoners. Peter's wife was with him, for she also died a martyr's death in Rome. Clement of Alexandria, another early church father, wrote, The blessed Peter, on seeing his wife led to death, rejoiced on account of her call and conveyance home, and called very encouragingly and comfortingly, addressing her by name. Remember thou the Lord. Such was the marriage of the blessed, and their perfect disposition towards those dearest to them. Paul is a Roman citizen, died in a noble way by the sword, while Peter, who is not a citizen, died a criminal's death on the cross. Saying he was unworthy to die in the same way as his Lord, Peter asked his executioners to hang him on the cross upside down, which they did, and so he died. Jesus had foretold the manner of Peter's death. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then Jesus said, Follow me. These last two words to Peter, Follow me, echoed, movingly, those that the Lord had used in first calling Peter to be a fisher of men. Did Jesus found his church on Peter? Well, that comes from a passage in Scripture as follows. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When Jesus said this, his play on words in Scripture is clear in Greek, but it's lost in Latin and in English. Jesus said that Peter was Petros, a stone. That's his name his nickname, but that upon this Petra boulder, Jesus would build his church. A Petra is a foundation stone, a boulder, or a cliff. It is large. It's an unmovable rock. So Jesus was saying, you are Petros, and on this Petra I will build my church. Simon, you are a pebble, but I am the rock on which I will build my church. You are a chip off the old block. Peter actually echoed this interpretation when he wrote, As you come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Paul removed any doubt about who is the church's one foundation when he wrote, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11 Moreover, Jesus didn't give exclusive control over the keys to the kingdom of heaven to Peter which is the basis for making Peter and his successor popes uniquely authoritative. Speaking to all his disciples, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This was spoken to all the disciples, plural, not to Peter, singularly. So Peter was a prominent apostle, but not uniquely powerful. Peter did use the keys Christ gave him to open the door to heaven in some special ways, namely, through the first great sermon at Pentecost, by leading Cornelius and his Gentile household to Christ, by preaching in Samaria, Antioch, Bithynia, and Rome, and by his many other inspired and miraculous acts. His leadership was remarkable. But the other apostles did similar work for the Lord. Peter was impetuous, emotional, and assertive. When Jesus invited Peter to follow him, 
he decisively dropped his net. When Jesus walked on water, Peter stepped over the side of the boat and did so too. Jesus spoke more to Peter than to any other disciple. Jesus praised Peter more than any other disciple. And Jesus rebuked Peter more than any other disciple. Jesus rebuked him for sleeping while Jesus suffered fatal anguish in Gethsemane. Peter was the loudest in vowing loyalty to Jesus before his arrest. He even armed himself with a sword and cut off Malchus' ear. Yet he abandoned Jesus, cursing and swearing. And when Jesus looked at Peter during his trial, Peter wept bitterly. After the resurrection, Peter charged first into the empty tomb and later leapt into the Sea of Galilee to join Jesus on shore. Peter rebuked Simon the magician. Peter worked miracles, including raising the dead. Peter led Romans to Christ. And Peter graciously accepted a rebuke from Paul in public. Peter defended the rights of Gentile Christians at the Jerusalem Council. And Peter demanded to die on an upside-down cross because he refused to believe he was worthy to die in the way that his friend, Savior, and Lord had died. This is Jim, the Bible History Guy, and you've been listening to material from my latest book, The Biographies of Jesus' Apostles, Ambassadors in Chains. Imprisoned in Nero's Rome, Paul wrote, I am an ambassador in chains. Well, apostle means ambassador, and these long-suffering ambassadors of Christ bore the gospel over tens of thousands of miles from Jerusalem to Africa, Europe, and Asia. They planted churches, had heavenly encounters, worked miracles, wrote all-time bestsellers, were shipwrecked, flogged, imprisoned, and martyred. And yet, they broke the chains and turned empires and kingdoms upside down. This book takes you on a journey of discovery back to the first century, experiencing how, against all odds, these embattled and triumphant ambassadors in chains so perfectly fulfilled Jesus' great commission. You can find the biographies of Jesus' apostles online wherever books are sold or on my website, www.thebiblehistoryguy.com. You've been listening to the Bible History Guy radio broadcast, sponsored by Winterwood Creative. You can reach me, Jim Mosley, directly through my email, jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com. That's jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com.